0: Welcome to the Vineyard Church of Greater Portland podcast. And we hope also, you enjoyed yeah, this message the by the pastor, Chad Peral. So awesome. For other um, podcasts resources, that and resources, visit www.vineyardportland.org. So, all in all, I think we gave out about 280 bags to kids. <laughs> so, if you count women and uh, if you count children and, and dads and moms, I mean, we could have had easily close to. 400 people there throughout the day. So it was pretty crazy. It was pretty awesome. And it felt so not stressful. It felt so not stressful. And it was because we had such amazing volunteers. And I just wanted to thank you, all of you who volunteered and helped out, set up, break down throughout the whole event. Um, It really made things easy. Um, It really made things flow smoothly. I think everyone had a wonderful time. And uh, I didn't get many complaints except that Jay couldn't keep that cotton candy machine running because there was a line a mile long all day long for that thing, and he burned his hand, and he had to go put his hand in the river to, like, soak his hand, and I had to, like, pitch in. I, had to, I got a call out of the bullpen to kind of relieve Jay for a little bit, and we were struggling with that thing all day. Finally, we just had to cut the line off, and I was the bearer of bad news, but hey, that's the way it works, so. But I want to thank you guys for joining us and being a part of that. Uh, it was such a wonderful event, and... Um, We'll do it again, because it seems like a hit. You know, who doesn't like ponies? I mean, come on now. I wish I could do it. But anyway. All right, so let's transition this morning. I'd like you to take your Bibles out. Uh, We are continuing in our series called The Attributes of God. Uh, So I'm going to be in 2 Timothy, 2 Peter, Isaiah 6, uh, just to look forward into this uh, message this morning. Uh, So this morning, uh, we are focusing on the attribute of holiness, God's holiness. And you may think to yourself, geez, how do we describe that? And let me just tell you, I have no idea. I really don't. Um, I'm going to kind of bring forth what I think the word tells us about God's holiness. Um, but to a certain degree, this, this attribute that God possesses it is more than just something he possesses. It's more than that, it's, it's, it's something that he intrinsically is, uh, more than any other attribute. The, the, the holiness of God, I think, most richly and accurately expresses uh, the, the intricate, intrinsic being of God, that as God exists, he is holy, and, and that his very nature is, is holy. So we, we have to kind of consider that. Uh, when we go through this this morning, and, and my fear is is that uh, the words that I uh, express or the words that I try to use uh, to communicate this uh, will, will fail miserably, <laughs> and they will, but I'm going to do my best this morning, and I would really encourage you to go to the Word because God is best at telling us who He is. So we're going to do that this morning together, uh, and I'm going to try my best to figure out this with you guys. So, uh, the title of my message this morning is God's Distinct Apartness. God's Distinct Apartness. And that really is a way of describing His holiness. And so, uh, before we kind of dive in, I just want to share with you a, a couple things about how I feel about what we're doing, as I, as I kind of do every week. Um, my, my feeling is is that as, as we fix our attention or our affections on, on God through, through his word, uh, and we see him for who he truly is, you know, as, as we kind of savor the immeasurable riches of Christ, uh, that it would in some way, our affections uh, or our attention would turn into a, a Christ-centered affection of God, and that we would be completely devoted in an ever-increasing way to Christ. That is the, uh, the idea around this series. Uh, I've said this before in, in, in weeks past. A true worshiper is someone who, did not, who did, desires to know God, whose, whose aim is to pursue God, to discover God, and to, sc- to discover the truthfulness of God. The essence of God, the nature of God as he has shown himself in his word. So that is what we are doing is we are coming to God's word and we are asking God, God, show me who you are through your word, through the holy scriptures. It's my conviction that a high view of God, by pursuing the truth of God, a high view of God, produces fervent and passionate, and truthful worship that delights in the revealing of God in his word. And that an uninformed view of God, or a low view of God, produces distorted or flawed worship of a God that actually doesn't really exist, because we've made him up in our own minds, because we've decided to um, jettison ourselves from the truth of who God is through his his word. So, a couple key passages this morning about this concerning this is this Second Timothy chapter seven verses one seven to nine. 2 Timothy two seven to nine says this. Paul says to Timothy, "Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Think over what I say." In other words. Think over what I'm telling you. I'm bringing you God's word. Think over what I'm saying, and God will give you all understanding, that God will illuminate the truth of who he is through what I say. And so there's this harmony, this connection between us being able to um, use our cognitive mind to think on, to ponder, and consider who God is, and that in that connection, in that process, God reveals himself through the Holy Spirit, through the illumination of truth about who God is. The Holy Spirit is always going to lead us into the very truth of God. And then in 2 Peter verse 1, um, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter says this, His divine power has granted to us all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness. And how is it that we attain this? How is it that this is granted to us? Peter says, it is through the knowledge of Him. It is through the knowledge of Christ who calls us to His own glory and excellence. How is it that we are granted all things that can cause us to live a life of of godliness? It is through the knowledge of Christ. So here is this, this idea, this connection uh, between uh, knowing God and living godly. So that's why we are doing this this morning. So let's jump in. The holiness of God. Like I said, um, <laughs> this is a hard one. And, and I apologize ahead of time. Because it may feel as though, again, like I said a couple weeks ago, we're kind of drinking from a fire hose. Um, It might be a little overwhelming. It might be a little difficult to uh, apprehend, but we're dealing with an infinite, holy, pure God. So, by nature, it should be this hard. It really should. So what is God saying about uh, himself when we consider the attribute of holiness? What is he saying about himself? When we we search God's word and we consider what it says, what is it that we can say that God says about who he is in his holiness? Well, this word holy that we see in the scripture uh, really denotes this idea of God's apartness. God's apartness. And the word uh, literally means to cut or to separate. Think about that. Like if you were to cut a piece of paper, I'll just use my sermon. If you were to do this. That, that's ultimately what the, the word means. There is this sense that there is an apartness or a separateness between God and everything else. That's kind of what the word means. Is getting at. So, this idea of holiness is an idea of apartness or separation. And consequently, because God is separate and apart, that he is to be considered and uh, treated as sacred, not common. That is, uh, to a certain degree, what the holiness of God means. Now, it doesn't mean that God is disconnected from us or unrelated to us, but what it means is is that God is distinct in His divineness. That that God alone is divine and shares that quality exclusively with Himself. That, That there's nothing about us Uh, that in any way can, can, to a certain degree, represent the attribute of holiness outside or apart from God's touch on our lives. So so the holiness of God is this sense that he is distinctly divine. It's not something we can necessarily describe, but it really, like I said, it's the intrinsic Nature of God, it is the godness of God expressed in his holiness. Simply stated, it's like this. God is unique in his apartness and distinct in his moral perfection. And is to be revered as sacred. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we love. This is the God that has decided to save us. This is the God that decided to come to the earth and live a perfect life and go to the cross and die for me, for you, in our place, to reconcile us back to our holy god god's holiness to a certain measure declares his intrinsic nature and and here's the really amazing thing that every attribute about god sort of coalesces it it kind of groups around this idea of holiness so god's love because god is holy god's love is a holy love Because God is holy, his mercy is a holy mercy. His grace is a holy grace. His wisdom is a holy wisdom. And his wrath is a holy wrath. God's holiness renders him uh, intrinsically matchless, unequaled, unrivaled. Incomparable. So let's talk about a couple aspects here of his holiness. God is holy in essence. He is holy in essence. First point. God's holiness resoundingly demonstrates his holy otherness and advances his distinct apartness. That is God's Holiness in his essence. It most emphatically declares this otherness, and it's perfectly communicated and precisely declared in his word. God's holiness speaks to the reality of him being distinguished and distinct above all other things, above all creation. It is the distinctness of his divineness. It is the separation of him From everything else. That is God's holiness in his essence. In other words, there is no God, or there is only God, and then there is everything else. He's separate, a cut above, apart. I know for some of us, and for me included, I can sort of, I understand this idea a little bit. Let me give you a a bit of an illustration. So uh, even today, but more so when I was younger, and my mom can attest to this, um, when, when I was given dinner at night as a young child, I had this, I don't know what you would call it. It was not a phobia, but it was a, Um, how do I want to describe it? It was a habit, maybe, where if my mom was putting dinner on the table, what I would do is is I would take every part of the meal, and whether it was like chicken and vegetable or mashed potatoes or whatever, I would have to separate that out from each other. Uh, I, I couldn't even have things touching one another on the plate. It was, I had to eat one and then maybe eat a little bit of the other and then eat a little bit of the other, but uh, they all had their own space and they couldn't touch and they were, they were separate and uh, it was something I just had to do. I don't know why. And to a certain degree, Gracie's the same way in the sense that when we have burritos for, bre- for dinner at night, sometimes we'll cook up meat and refried beans right? And corn and rice and we'll, we'll throw it all in and wrap it up. Not Gracie. She doesn't even get a burrito. She just gets three things on her plate separately. God is in a sense kind of like that. He's separate. He's apart. He's distinct. There is God, and then there is everything else. For Jackson, a good illustration for food would be, for Jackson, on the negative side, there's broccoli, and then everything else. Because he can't stand it. There's nothing like broccoli for him. And then on the positive side, there's mashed potatoes, and then there's everything else. That's Jackson. Mashed potatoes are like his thing. But it's kind of like that with God, to a certain degree, if we can get a visual. Let let me say this to you guys. God, in his holiness, means he's not common. And that everything that he has uh, ascribed and possesses is, is for his purpose and his use only. That God will not use anything... That is uh, common because he is not common. So anything that is uh, ascribed to God or that God wants to possess uh, would considered to be holy or sacred because God is not common. He is not common, but he is incomparable. His love is not ordinary. His his ways are not familiar. His truth is not average or mediocre. Nothing about God is commonplace. Nothing he accomplishes is run-of-the-mill. His ways are not predictable. His correction is not conventional. And his grace is not garden variety. That's the holiness of God. He is set apart a cut above. He provo- profoundly heralds the exclusive class that only he reserves the right to be in. That's the holiness of God. 1st Chronicles 17:20 says this, David in his prayer, there is none like you, O Lord. There is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Psalm 86, 8. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, No, nor are there any works like yours. So every work God engages in is holy because there's none like it. His power is insurmountable. His ability is incomparable. His strength, is unparalleled. There is none like him. That is his holiness in essence. Psalm 93, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed and he has put on strength as his belt. Everything is upheld by the power and the ability of God. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting to everlasting. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house. What does that word mean? How is it that holiness befits God's house? What does that mean? It means it's suitable. It's compatible. It fits God perfectly. If there's one thing that we can look to about God and his attributes that most uh, accurately express the essence of God, it is his holiness. More than anything, it makes every other attribute holy. Look at what Isaiah sees in his vision in Isaiah chapter 6, if you want to go with me there. Isaiah beholds the stunning reality of God's holiness in his vision in Isaiah 6, in the essence of God's holiness. God's holiness uh, is characterized most richly in his position of exaltation. Let's look at Isaiah 6 for a moment. The whole earth is full of his glory. God is holy, therefore seated high. God is holy and his position speaks of his holiness. Why? Because it is high and separated and lofty above everything else. That God's holiness is characterized by his position. That's what Isaiah is seeing here. But not only that, uh, Isaiah says that the train of his robe fills the temple. His holiness is typified by his robe. Uh, If we can think back uh, in those times, Um, The king's robe was something that would accurately describe his splendor and his majesty. So in other words, the bigger and longer the train of the robe, the more authority, the more power, the more splendor that is due the king. And Isaiah says that his robe, it's not just long, but it fills the whole temple that is typifying the holiness of God the separateness, the apartness, the distinction. So we have him seated high. We have his robe and the train of it filling the dwelling place of where he is. And then Isaiah says is the seraphims, the very ones that are circling the throne, they are covering their face and their body with their wings. Uh, the, they're not even able to gaze upon the holiness of God. That, that, that's what we're talking about here. That God in all his splendor, when he's seated high, when Isaiah gets a glimpse of that, uh, it, the very holy beings around him, the seraphim, are, are, they can't even gaze upon him. He's so amazingly, wondrously, magnificently holy. Amen, amen. Are you getting the picture? These are the things that make God and render him distinct and apart from everything else. He is sacred and never common. And we should never view him that way or speak of him that way. But in all of our conduct, in all of our thoughts, in all of our speech that when we herald the name of God it is in a way that is holy and distinct and set apart and never common. The seraphim are around the throne and they're saying holy, holy, holy. What does that mean? It means that God is not just holy like other things or that he's the holier thing than other things but he's the most holy thing there can be that he is truly set apart and above and distinct than everything. It's the same revelation John gets in his revelation in chapter 4, where he gets a glimpse and he hears the same thing. Holy, holy, holy. The heavenly hosts are not crying, love, 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 or truth, 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 or mercy, mercy, mercy. What are they yelling? What are they decreeing? Holy, holy, holy. So he is holy in essence. But he's also holy in character. God's holiness is continually reverberating his moral purity. God's holiness in his essence promotes the holiness of his character, and uniquely publicizes his distinct apartness. So God is not just holy in his essence intrinsically, but his holy essence renders his character completely and utterly holy and pure. So for Isaiah, this picture of God was not simply a picture of God's holiness in his essence pictured by the throne and the robe and the seraphim. It wasn't just a a mere reflection of God's apartness, but it it, it caused Isaiah to see uh, God's ethical purity, his moral uprightness, his utter truthfulness. Because he's, God in his, intrinsic nature is flawless in his decisions he is impeccable in every thought he is irreproachable in his goodness that is the holiness of god's character and isaiah saw that as the veil was lifted for him in isaiah chapter 6 this is what it says in verse 4 after isaiah sees this vision Uh, he goes on to say this, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, listen to these words, woe, woe is me, for I am lost. We're talking about the prophet who is speaking the words of God to his people. He says, woe is me. And then he says to himself, I am a man of what? unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts what is it that we can gain here from Isaiah's reaction to this vision it is this is that when faced with the stunning otherness of God's moral perfection it ultimately uh, causes in us a sense of unavoidable self-awareness. That when we gaze upon the very presence of God and his moral perfection and his holiness, that it does nothing else but cause us, a finite creature, to look upon and to be self-aware of our inability to live up to God's standard. It brings a self-awareness that is unavoidable. For Isaiah, there was, this, there was this immediate feeling of sober reverence for God when faced with the wonder of who he is. The presence of holiness should leave us as a creation with that same fear. Not a fear that leads to um, hopelessness, It's a fear that should lead to honor and wonder and amazement and a passionate worship of Christ. God's fear is never meant for us to live with despair and hopelessness, but it is to turn our affection, our attention on the pure one that we serve so that it would cause in us a passionate worship of a God that we love. But make no mistake, when Isaiah saw this, he was cut to the heart because he realized who he was in comparison to the God that he served. A man who spoke the very words of God out of his mouth. How much more should we be bowing in reverence to our holy God because of his holiness and his purity and character? It brings a whole new understanding to the idea of worship when we come in his presence, when we come together corporately. Isaiah says, Woe, woe is me, for I am lost. I am lost. When I consider your goodness, when I consider your ways, I'm broken. I'm lost. Peter had the same reaction in Luke chapter 5. If you look in the New Testament... In Luke chapter 5, when, when Jesus was in the boat with him and told him to go out a little further after preaching, and he told Peter to put his nets over the side of the boat, and Peter put his nets over the side of the boat, and he just kept catching fish, hand over fist, hand over fish, so much that he had to go to his friends and say, hey, can you get all these fish in my boat? And eventually the, the boat just started to kind of capsize and sink because there were so many fish on the boat. And when Peter realized who he was in the presence of, what did he say? He said, away from me. Away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. God's holiness should cause in us self-awareness, not only of who we are, but of who he is. Isaiah understood that in the presence of God, that he was utterly incapable of commanding the direction of his own life. He said, I'm lost. God, I'm lost without you. And not only that, I'm a man of unclean lips, that that my thoughts and my my actions, my deeds, uh, they will never match up to the, the purity of your goodness and character but yet you love me and you've used me to speak your word to your people. Habakkuk puts it like this in, ver- in chapter one. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. So because of God's holiness, God's standard is perfection. Perfection. Flawlessness. Pure. Unpolluted. Impeccably truthful. And God will judge all by the standard of his holiness. All of them. All of us. Everything that's associated with God must be holy. That's God's standard. When God encountered Moses at the burning bush he said Moses take off your sandals why because this ground is holy because I'm here so the very ground that that God possessed was was holy ground why because it's, it was not being used for a common purpose it was not being used as commonplace but it was sacred it was distinct it was set apart why because he was there God's temple is holy God's mountain was holy. God's word is holy. His city is holy and his people are holy. That's me and you. That is the call. That is the standard for our life. Listen to what Jesus says about this reality. Matthew 5:48, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Whoa. What was me? <laughs> I have to be perfect like God is perfect? Is that, that Jesus? That's a, Jesus said, hey, if you love me, what are you going to do? You can keep my commands, right? If you love me, you'll keep my commands. And what did Jesus say? You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, 14 through 15, Uh, This is what Peter says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, do not live as you did before you met Christ. Do not live as you lived before you put your faith in him. Do not live in your old nature, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you'll know the will of God for your life. He goes on to say, But as he who called you is holy, you also must be holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. So, we have a problem. We <laughs> have a big problem here. So, God, who associates with everything and by his touch renders everything holy, says to us, You must be holy. And I'm looking at my life going, I'm not even close to being holy. Not even close. Jesus, isn't this a little unfair, this standard that you're putting on me? You mean I got to be just like you in your holiness, in your moral perfection? Let me just tell you guys, this is not good news This is not good news. Because what does God judge by His standard, and His standard is what, holy. What is the standard, moral perfection? Um, let me. <laughs> this is not good news. This is this is this is bad. This, this is bad news, you guys. So we have a problem. God's standard doesn't change. God doesn't change. God is immutable. God does not change. His attributes do not change. Therefore, his standard does not change. Therefore, his call on your life does not change. And he said, be holy as I am. Here's what that means. Our lives must be marked by a continual separation from all that is evil that it must be a continual separation from all of the desires of our own nature and to live a life where we uh, begin to and continually love the things that God loves and hate the things that he hates. That is a pursuit of holiness. And the dominant trait exemplified in our lives, you guys, is a desire to know and to love God. That is what this command means. But we can't do this. Jesus' command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength all the time. Raise your hand if that's true for your life. You got a big problem. It's not possible to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength all of the time. That's the standard. How often do we wander? I was thinking about that worship song this morning. Lord, I'm coming home, though I have wandered far. That's just not a wandering uh, when, before we receive Christ by faith, but I wander through the week. I wander and I'm separated from God's presence through the week. That my life doesn't always exemplify and and reflect God's um, perfect nature that he is forming in me. That I wander, and we all do. If we don't, then we deceive ourselves. We all wander. We all sin. We all make mistakes. We all violate the character of God that, that he's trying to form in us. Regularly. This is not good news. God's standard is his moral perfection, his law, the commandments that he gave. Let me just share with you for a moment that, that God's commandments that he gave his people, right? The, the Ten Commandments, uh, those are fulfilled in Christ, and, and, and they're still applicable today that God's standard is that we keep every commandment perfectly in order to be holy that is his standard that does not change but here's the amazing news about this bad news is that we cannot do this on our own and that is the wonder and the beauty of the gospel of Christ that is the good news that Christ has come and he has lived perfectly. That he has kept every command. And that he is holy, righteous, and blameless. And then he came and lived a life as a man. And he lived it perfectly in perfect obedience to God. And that he lived that life and he died for us so that God can see us like he sees him. That is the most amazing news. How is it that we can pursue a life of holiness absent from the heavy burden of performance? Because God's holiness requires a performance. It requires work. It requires perfect obedience. How is it that we can live a life of holiness for God outside the desire to perform. It is simple. It is through the gospel of the grace of Christ. That is the amazing news. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he said, I did not come to abolish the law. And by the law, he meant God's perfect will, God's commands that are perfect and holy and righteous and pure and that everyone will be judged by. He said, I did not come to abolish God's law, his commandments. He said, I came to fulfill them. I came to fulfill them. What does that mean? It means that he came and fulfilled every." demand the law had on me and you to live perfectly up to God's standard in accord with his holiness. He came and did that. Then he came as a perfect man and perfectly God, truly man, truly God, and died for each one of us in this room. Why? So that as Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, so that we could attain the righteousness of Christ as he takes our sin on himself. That is the most amazing news. I, I, you gotta hear the bad news in order for the good news to be that much greater. If no one hears the bad news, then what makes the good news good? That is the beauty of Christ and his gospel this morning. I'll leave you with these in accord with God's holiness. Romans 10, verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law of righteousness for everyone who believes. What does that mean? Is that God doesn't save us based on our righteousness based on whether or not we can, 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 can keep every single command and law perfectly. God saves us because we have decided to put our faith in Christ and we experience the grace of Christ. And now the Holy Spirit dwells in us so that our desire is to live for God. So the Holy Spirit comes in when we put our faith in Christ and says, now you're going to have a desire to keep his commands. They don't save you, but my grace, which does, gives you the capacity and the desire to live godly lives. It is his holiness that we desire, but it is a desire not of performance, but birth through grace. That is the message of the gospel. Yes, Lord, Last one, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1. Since we have these promises, Paul says, and those promises include being able to understand the good news of Christ, God's comfort in affliction, his reconciliation and his righteousness that is given to us. He said, "Because of these promises, Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful declaration that Paul gives us here. That it is through the awe and wonder and amazement of God that motivates us to live a holy life, not based on performance, but based on his grace. That is the beauty of of the gospel and the wonder and the power of the spirit dwelled in us that we can live a life of godliness for christ not by way of salvation but by way of sanctification that he brings us along through faith in that process and he's dedicated to us being conformed into his likeness amen that's such wonderful news this morning. I love the scriptures. I love the gospel. I love the Holy Spirit living in us, indwelling us to give us the opportunity and the ability to do this. I love it that God looks upon us with his favor. Why? Because of the righteousness of Christ. I love it that we're no longer condemned. I love it that we're no longer living under fear. I love it that God, when he looks at us, he sees us as righteousness as his son because of the wonder of Christ christ's work on our behalf that is the most amazing message the most amazing news that we can carry to the world it is one of hope it is one of love it is one of joy it is one of complete freedom it is one uh, that god has called us to herald with our lives it is this gospel that we have been charged to declare and to share Amen. All right, let's stand this morning.